creative babble. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Before we begin, this episode is going to dive into some really deviant adult content that, trust me, is just not suitable for children. So please, please, if you have a little one in the room, you might want to listen to this one some other time. Okay, let's start the show. Susan Fenston's cousin, Leonard Nachman, had a bit of a kinky side. Leonard had another side, and Leonard was into heavy S&M bondage and role-playing, and he had a uh, serious fetish that he was into. But Leonard Nachman also went by another name. Leona is... Leonard Nackman's alter persona. And Leonard would email Susan pictures of himself dressed as Leona. Leona posed for Susan in nylon bodysuits. Leonard uh, had a, a real, you know, dark side, and he liked to dress up in uh, hosiery, very tight hosiery from head to toe. You know the look we're talking about. The same look when a bank robber puts on a piece of pantyhose over his head when robbing a bank. That tight undergarment smushes the lips and the nose, distorting all facial features. It's pretty creepy, actually. Uh, there were pictures of him with the jewelry on underneath the earrings, underneath the hose, which gave it an even more kind of a suffocating look. And his lipstick would be sort of pressing through the nylon and smeared, and his face was all con con contorted. I've seen some of these pictures of Leona, you know, Leonard's alter ego. Every pose, Leonard stares down the lens of the camera with a frown on his face. Leonard's image was really jarring because you have this really fit, strong-looking guy. I don't mean like in a big macho sense, but you know, this is a strong-looking guy, uh, completely covered with black hose from his head to his toes. One of the things that, that terrifies you even today is the image of Leona, right? I mean, that, that still is haunting for you, isn't it? There were so many things going on with these images, which I think were you know, part of his whole uh, fetish, the sort of frighteningness of it, you know, the oddness of it, uh, the darkness of it. And he would, he had many pictures of himself um, posed in, uh, in hose, um, masturbating, uh, you know, different positions, sitting upside down with his legs in the air and like a, like a bat. And it was especially jarring because I'm thinking, this, this is my cousin. This is part of my family. Susan Fenston had never met her distant cousin, Leonard. Their only interactions were online. 
She didn't know much about Leonard, but what she did know about him terrified her. Leonard was a wealthy Wall Street executive with odd fetishes. He was schizophrenic and had been hospitalized numerous times. Susan even found out that Leonard was once charged with rape and kidnapping, but never convicted. Leonard was obsessed with his cousin Susan. She says that his Yahoo profile picture featured an extreme close-up of a pierced clitoris with a tattooed devil surrounding it. And in the About section of his profile, there was a poem that sent chills down Susan's spine. It read, and I quote, Dear cousin, my cousin, oh cousin so sweet, I've seen where you live, I know what you eat, and I want to see your eye when we first meet, unquote. Leonard was closing in on Susan. He could be anywhere, and there was nothing she could do about it. I'm Javier Leva, and this is Pretend. Stories about real people pretending to be someone else. You know, there's a lot of buzz about CBD nowadays. It's been proven to alleviate pain and inflammation, as well as anxiety and depression. But did you know that not all CBD is created equal? I discovered Hemp Fusion. Hemp Fusion is CBD plus omegas and tryptines to help you feel better. I just got my shipment of Hemp Fusion and I'm loving it so far, so... Get yours today, go to hempfusion.com, promo code PRETEND, to get 20% off your first order. Back in 2001, the internet was relatively new. Statistically speaking, most Americans didn't even have the internet at home. And if they did, they connected using dial-up connections. I was still pretty new on the internet. I mean, I had a computer at at my office, of course. I had email. No, we had websites and everything like that. There was no Facebook, no FaceTime, no nothing. It was pretty much the Stone Age of the digital age. Prior to 2001, if you wanted to know what your friends were up to, you had to call them. But despite all that, the internet was a great place to reconnect with old friends and family members. One day, I was at my office, and I got an email from uh, someone named Bobby. And he said, hey, do you remember me? And I thought that was funny. Like, how could I not remember Bobby? So I wrote back, yeah, of course I remember you, and it's good to hear from you. Uh, And we started catching up. Bobby and Susan had drifted apart over the years. It's been 10 years since they last spoke. He was telling me about his life a little bit. I was telling him about my life a little bit. And um, it all just kind of started from there. And like a lot of my gay friends, he was really fun. And I felt really comfortable around him. I felt really safe around him. And we had a lot of similar interests. It was like we were brother and sister. 
because he was living in Washington, D.C., and I was still in New York City. So when 2001, when September 11th happened, you know, we kind of bonded again. You know, it was really traumatic. It was really stressful, you know, you know, I mean, because it was just such a strange and just exhausting and difficult time. So it was really good to have a friend to, uh, to talk to. The Internet was not only a great place to reconnect with old friends, it was also a place to learn about who you were and where you came from. You see, Susan didn't know much about her family history. My father wasn't very talkative. He was very reclusive. He wasn't the kind of person that liked to share old family stories. He was not sentimental. All that stuff just really didn't matter to him. And after her father died, all that family history died with him. I don't have a big family. I don't have really any family at all. It's kind of like a, a mess, kind of like an alienated little bit of a, a mess. So, of course, I was curious. I thought, you know, I would just check out to genealogy.com. It was a new thing, and it was still very primitive and very clunky. Susan put out a message asking if anyone knew anything about her grandfather's father, who was from New York City. She wasn't really expecting much, but... You've got mail. I got a reply, and it was from a woman named Karen Gardner, who said that she had just happened to be looking up her side of the family and just happened to see my message, and she said she just about fell out of her chair when she saw it because it really was starting to look like we had the same grandfather. So they started writing to each other and sharing stories. And I, I just couldn't believe it. I was just blown away. I mean, that must have been kind of exciting, right? To find distant family members. It was, especially when I think about how, you know, how slim the chances were. Tell me about Karen. I mean, what, what was she like? Where, where was she from? Uh, Karen said she was from Massachusetts and she was married and had two children, two girls. Karen, Susan's newfound online cousin had a sister named Sharon, and she had a brother named Leonard, who lived in New Jersey. Leonard was a Wall Street entrepreneur. Remember Leonard? He was like a, like a, a, a numbers genius, and uh, he did very well in the stock market, I was told, and he was kind of reclusive, and he was a little mysterious. I was already starting to get a picture of these three siblings, and Karen sent me a photograph, a family photo, like a a seated formal picture with a photographer. Everybody was dressed very conservatively, their tweed jackets, long skirts, you know, very, you know, uh, flat shoes. And the children were there and everybody was all, it was, it looked very prim and proper and very organized. And I, I was kind of like blown away, like, wow, they're here now these faces to go with the names. I was getting already a very vivid picture of uh, this family was emerging. Is it exciting? I mean, like to one day, maybe you could even meet these extended cousins and all that. The funny thing is when I saw the picture, I mean, I was really happy to see photos of them, but at the same time I thought, wow, they look a little, they look a little too conservative. Not politically, just kind of stiff and boring. Susan came from a free-spirited family. These aren't exactly the kind of people that she would normally hang out with. But you know what they say. You can choose your friends, but you sure as hell can't choose your family. 
So we started writing to each other and exchanging photos, exchanging stories. And I, I just couldn't believe it. Like I was just enjoying the correspondence. I wasn't thinking, yeah, I'm going to hop on a train and go right up there. Just to give you an idea where everyone lives, Karen and her sister Sharon live in Massachusetts, and Leonard lives in New Jersey, just a skip and a hop away from Susan's doorstep in New York. So she very gradually introduced me to Leonard, who um, she gave my email address to him, and he wrote to me and said, welcome to the family. Now, keep in mind, Susan doesn't know anything about Leonard's dark side yet. When he wrote to me and said, maybe we could have coffee sometime. And he gave me his AOL Instant Messenger handle. Now, for those of you who are too young to remember this, AOL Instant Messenger was the most primitive form of online chat. Welcome. You had a buddy list, and anytime your friends would come online, you would chat with them. I just added Leonard to my buddy list. So whenever he signed on to AOL, I could he would pop on, and a little icon would show, and a little sound would happen. But never, Leonard never wrote back. Karen said to me once, well, I'm surprised that you and Leonard weren't already talking to each other. I thought you'd already have been, you know, best friends by now. And I said, no, he never wrote to me. And she replied that maybe Sharon had already gotten to him. When Karen said that Sharon had already gotten to him, I... A real sort of dynamic was starting to present itself and emerge about their this trio of siblings. Like, I was starting to get the sense that Sharon had run some kind of interference on Leonard. Like, Sharon did not want Leonard making contact with me. And I really, I really wasn't sure why. But I just thought it was interesting the way Karen put it, that Sharon had already gotten to him. And that suggested to me that there was some... It was an old uh, sort of dynamic and power play going on between these three. But one day, you've got mail. Susan got an email from the new cousins that she was not supposed to read. I started scrolling down into the email, and it was pretty long, and it looked like it, there was some carryover from uh, an, another email exchange between her and Sharon. And... I, I printed it out because I really thought, well, she wanted me to see something. So I wasn't really sure what she wanted me to see. So I was. It was an exchange between Karen and Sharon. Now, I don't want all these names to get confusing. So I'll break it down this way Karen is the nice cousin, Sharon is the not so friendly cousin. We'll call her Angry Sharon, just to keep things straight. Angry Sharon didn't like that her sister Karen just invited some stranger into her family. And what I read was this exchange between Sharon and Karen. And Sharon was like, you know, why do you have the, you know, what kind of a, you know, you can't just, you know, go around meeting people, strange people. She's no good. She's after money. She's, she's, she's a con artist. Uh, look at where she lives. Um, how can you introduce people like this into our family? I mean, it was pretty powerfully angry. So Sharon writes back to you, right? And do you happen to have it? Do you happen to have that email in front of me? I have it in front of me. I could read it if you want. I don't. I don't have it in front of me. I'm going to have an actor read the email that angry Sharon sent to Susan. Dear Susan Fenston, or whatever you call yourself, 
This is Sharon, Karen Gardner's sister. What business is it of yours what I say or do concerning my family? You have some nerve reading personal stuff between my sister and me. My sister is very trusting and has a big heart, and people like you always try to take advantage of her. Whatever you're trying to do, it won't work. Sharon. Susan was a little taken aback by this email from angry Sharon. And I wrote back to Sharon, and I was like, you know, look, you're wrong about this, and you're just paranoid. Uh, I don't mean any harm. And then I, I got an email from Leonard who said, you know, leave, you know, leave me alone. I'm not interested. Your email was kind of funny. Um, you said, spare me your vitriol. You know, people search for relatives all the time. Read up on it sometimes. There's no evil plot. Your nasty comments were in an email addressed to me. I printed it and saw it by accident. Your brother wrote to me asking to meet, not the other way around. So that's interesting. And so then Leonard responds back, not interested, leave me alone. Normally, this would be the end of the story. It sounds like Susan's new extended family wasn't what she hoped they would be. But we're just getting started. I still had Leonard's AOL handle on my buddy list on Messenger. Whenever he would sign on to AOL, his icon door would open and there'd be a swoosh and this little figure would pop in and uh, he would be on for online for a little while. And of course, I'm on with Bobby watching this and we would both be talking to each other, you know, chatting through the chat. Uh, oh, yeah, look, Leonard's on. Check it out. So you're seeing him come in and out, but n- no real interaction. So one night I'm on the I'm on instant messenger with Bobby and we see Leonard pop on. And then all of a sudden, all of these pornographic emails started flowing into my inbox. I was signed up for newsletters, websites, uh, subscriptions to things, every type of porn there is. But there was like some really like extreme porn. And then I would see like Leonard would pop on again and more would come in. So I was watching this happen in live, you know, in live time, just like he would come online, stuff would come into my inbox, and then he would pop off, and then stuff would still come in, and it was... But I mean, that could have been a coincidence, right? It could have been, but it seemed the timing of it. So it was any time he would come on, it would happen. So it, it, it started to really look like he was behind this. Susan reported this activity to AOL letting them know that she had been receiving unsolicited pornographic emails. So after that, I got an email from Leonard who said, you'd like to complain? I bet I can make you moan too. So he must have gotten the message somehow, huh? I don't really know what happened, but it seemed like what I, whatever it was that I did, uh, you know, you know, got to him in some way. He was not happy about it at all. I think that I thought that they were able to trace the place where this was coming from because it's their service. You find this distant family. You talk to Karen. She seems really nice. Then, you know, Sharon, uh, the sister, you know, she seems a little abrasive. And then you don't talk to these people at all. And then you get all these assaulted with all these porn messages and then you're cousin leonard says you like to complain i bet i can make you moan that's weird you know it was really really sickening i felt sick i just felt sick because this person was 
to be my relative. I was already beginning to see that there was a lot of uh, disturbing things going on in that family. And they were not really so, like, keen on trying to hide it. Well, so much for that family reunion, right? <laughs> Sharon was, uh, I don't know, she was very angry and, and hated me and was accusing me of all kinds of things, that I had ads out looking for uh, sex. Yes, a sex ad. In one email exchange with Leonard, Susan discovered an ad using her name. He ends that email chain with, um, I, I don't know if that's a screen name that says looking for pussy and dick 82. And it says New York female age 41 seeking kinky women, seeking kinky men, seeking kinky couples, seeking kinky lesbian couples, seeking kinky group sex three or more, seeking kinky swingers. And then, and then it signs off girl Fenston, which is actually you, right? I don't know where this ad came from, but it was really painting me out to be like this really dirty, dirty lady. <laughs> it's late one night, past midnight, and Susan was talking with Bobby on the phone when suddenly she hears another call coming in. Bobby and I are on the phone talking about all of this. And I got a beep on my phone, my call waiting, that I had a call coming in. And I thought, there's no way. No, one's, no one is calling me at, you know, at this hour. So it was really scary that, like, I was getting this. Remember, I live alone. You know, I don't have people around me. Then the next day, you've got mail. Susan receives another email. You get this email called Girl Fuxton, or from girlfuxton at yahoo.com, and you're, and it has some sort of an, an attachment, and you're afraid to open it. So you forward it off to your friend Bobby, and he opens it. And he says that uh, your face was photoshopped on the face, uh, on the body of a porn actress. Well, it was interesting because it was the first time that I saw somebody in using, making up an email address. And pretending to be me, or at least, uh, you know, using my name in an email account that is obviously to degrade me and upset me. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really twisted. And so now you feel like you need to go back to Karen, who was the person you originally reached out to, and kind of tell her, hey, you know, this this stuff is getting weird, right? Susan writes Karen and tells her everything. I just forwarded all of that to her and told her what was happening. Like, I really hate to tell you this, but this has been going on for a while and it's just very disturbing. And, you know, maybe you can do something about it. She apologized and she was so humiliated and she felt so terrible. But she said that, you know, I wasn't really totally forthcoming with you about Leonard um, as maybe I should have. Uh, yeah, I think. Yeah, I think she forgot to mention a few details here and there. Karen, the nice cousin, wrote Susan a long email giving her a little bit more history about Leonard. She explains that a long time ago, when they were young, there was a death in the family. Their baby sister named Sandra died in a fire that broke out in the house. And there was some 
suspicion in the family that maybe Leonard had something to do with the fire. Uh, and that, that was just the beginning. And it went on into a little bit further for telling me about Leonard's childhood and that he had uh, he'd been diagnosed with um, schizophrenia. Karen told Susan that sometimes Leonard would go around the neighborhood and peep in girls' windows. When he, he was caught once looking into a girl's window by the girl's father, and Leonard freaked out, according to Karen, and she, he hit the man with a shovel. And that act landed Leonard into a psychiatric facility. According to Karen, Leonard was always in and out of psychiatric hospitals. When he was in college, he was accused of kidnapping and raping a young girl with two other men. And was he ever convicted of that? No. According to Karen, there wasn't enough evidence. The two men that were, the other two men that were involved were convicted, but Leonard was not convicted. Karen mentioned the name of two sex offenders, Lou Burr and Robert McCautry. We're using these names to protect their identities. So, of course, I showed all of this to Bobby. And we went online and started searching for them. And we were able to find out that these were actual sex offenders in New Jersey. In her email, Karen told Susan that Leonard was admitted back into the psychiatric hospital. So now I've got Leonard back in the hospital because of all this, because of his interactions with me. Oh, that's not good. Because now, I mean, if he was angry with you before, I mean, he's definitely now going to (laughs) be, that's going to be confirmed, right? Karen told Susan not to worry. Leonard was going to be away for a while. But now, you know, he's, he's, um, you know, in this mental facility and... You know, he's not going to stay in there forever, right? He Does he eventually... No, that would have been good. But no, he was going to get out. And um, he was doing better from what I heard. And that he was uh, painting a painting of a woman. And I somehow got the impression that this was a painting of me. And so what happens when Leonard gets out? Well, Leonard gets out. Karen says, look, Leonard is known to disappear sometimes and just go off. So if he should just appear at your doorstep, uh, just smile and be friendly. Susan lived alone in Williamsburg in Brooklyn, New York. At the time, this part of town was dead and full of factories. If Leonard happened to just show up unannounced, there wasn't a friendly community of neighbors on the lookout. And that wasn't very comforting to me at all. I lived alone. My apartment was on the ground floor. I lived at the end of a street by the river in an industrial neighborhood. Uh, It was pretty deserted back then. There were no high rises, no clubs, no restaurants, no bars. It was just an empty, desolate neighborhood on the river, and I felt very, very vulnerable. But, you know, she she's telling you this. This is obviously terrifying. I mean, it makes, it makes me nervous just even talking to you about this. But at the same time, she's trying to convince you that, you know, deep down inside, 
Leonard is a good person, right? Yeah, well, I figure that's what relatives do. They love them. They love each other unconditionally, no matter what happens. And I got the the sense that there was so much going on in this family that I was only just beginning to hear like the tip of the iceberg. And I almost want to remind the audience that Leonard wasn't, you know, this guy that was always acting erratic. I mean, he, he's, he was supposed to be some sort of successful Wall Street guy. I mean, he was pretty well-to-do, right? Yeah, he'd apparently done very well and was living in kind of semi-retirement, only working once in a while. He had a lot of leisure time. And, you know, he was like a math savant, you know, someone who was, you know, maybe, uh, you know, had a disability on one end, but was also like a financial genius on the other end. What do you do? How do you live your life knowing that at any moment he could be showing up at your doorstep or even worse, he could be looking at you from afar and you don't even know it? There was nothing I could do. I had to just live my life. Get up, go to work, come home. I didn't have any choice, but I was living in fear. And it was a very kind of like paralyzing fear. Um, not knowing what was going to happen next, not knowing if someone was just going to show up on your doorstep. Uh, it was pretty terrifying. I really did. I was not prepared to handle Leonard showing up at any time. It was really scary. And I really just felt defenseless, uh, like a sitting duck. I closed my curtains and watch everything. But it was just a life of dread. Is he going to show up? What do I do if he shows up? And as you can imagine, Susan lived in fear, constantly looking over her shoulder. She would walk past her window and make sure that the curtains were drawn tight, just waiting for the day that Leonard would get out of the psychiatric hospital. There were other things about Leonard, too, that I had to know. And one of these things was um, involving a murder of a young woman in New Jersey. And it was a terrible murder. Uh, of a young woman who was left, like, stabbed to death and, and left to be found. She learned this from Hal, Karen's husband. Hal would reach out to Susan from time to time, just to let her know about Leonard's whereabouts. Hal went on to describe to me how Leonard had, in his travels, had met a young woman in a, in a restaurant somewhere in New Jersey, and they struck up a friendship and they started seeing each other, and that Leonard was really happy to have met this young lady and he was always to always talking about her and he seemed over the moon over her. and Karen and Hal maybe seemed happy that maybe he'd found somebody nice and would settle down with. And then one day he just stopped talking about her and it came out that she was murdered and that Leonard was suspected in this murder. Her name was Jennifer Whipkey and I'm telling Bobby about all this. So we go online and we're like two armchair detectives at this point, you know, searching out sex offenders, now searching out murderers. And she was very young. She had a little girl. Uh, she was a single mother and she was uh, going to um, restart her life. And then she was just cut down. Um, she was last seen leaving a club. Uh, where she was arguing with somebody, maybe a guy that she was with, and then she was found dead. And she was 
petite, blonde, fair-skinned, blue-eyed, and so am I. Susan begins to wonder if she was Leonard's type. Well, after Hal told me that, I decided that that was the end. I couldn't communicate with him anymore. I was going to change all my email addresses, change everything. And I, I went to the police. And I thought, well, you know, Bobby also agreed. It's a really good idea that I go to the police. They really couldn't do anything. I explained what happened. I explained that I met, you know, distant cousins online and that I was now being sent all kinds of uh, pornographic and um, abusive emails and that I was really terrified. This person had a history, a criminal history. Nothing has happened. You know, there's, they're just emails. Leonard was really mad at me for just breaking off and running away and not, and not telling him anything. And I thought, well, maybe the only way to settle this was to just, you know, swallow my pride and just say, look, I'm sorry. I didn't know what, you know, I didn't know how to handle this. This is like too much for me. I didn't want to hurt your feelings. Uh, so I basically was just like doing anything I could to, you know, sort of patch this over in some way. And that actually worked. But after I got home from the police station that night on my first trip to the police, um, I got home and I called Bobby. I told him I went to make a police report. And Bobby said, wow, he says, I hope you're sitting down because I have to show you something. And he sent me a, a link to Leonard's Yahoo profile. And it was a... Uh, it was a pretty graphic photo of a uh, of a vagina that was tattooed and pierced. Then the tormenting calls started happening again. This time, they were aimed at Susan's boyfriend. We'll call him Nolan to protect his identity. And you know, around this time, your boyfriend Nolan also started getting weird calls. Could you describe that? His cell phone started getting anonymous calls and messages, uh, hang-up calls, whispering kind of threats, we're going to get you, or some mumbling thing that was indecipherable and then hang up. Uh, there were also messages left on his voicemail that became increasingly more threatening as things went along. You know, they were started out as veiled threats and then you know, escalated into real actual threats. And we're going to get you. We're going to get you. We're going to we're going to rape her. You're going to watch. We're going to kill you. We're, you know, I mean, blood curdling, screaming sounds uh, were left on his uh, voicemail. And this was really disturbing because there was no way anyone had his phone number, even though I would ignore it and walk away from it it would still be there. Leonard was back.
Picture this, a foggy evening, the whisper of secrets in the air, and an invitation to step back into the glamorous and mysterious 1920s. That's the backdrop of June's Journey, the game that's been keeping me glued to my phone lately. Instead of doom scrolling on social media, I am actually playing the part of June Parker, a daring detective with a personal mission to solve her sister's murder. And let me tell you, it is a roller coaster of emotions and puzzles. What's to love? Well, first of all, the thrill of hunting for hidden objects. I'm a sucker for these kinds of games. It's kind of like those books that we grew up with, but with a storyline that keeps thickening. Plus, the game takes place in New York to Paris, uncovering clues of scandalous family secrets that make you feel like a real detective. If you're ready for a dose of mystery, romance, and the glamour of the 1920s, June's Journey is waiting for you. Download it for free on iOS and Android, and let's see who cracks the case first. Leonard Nachman was back, but this time, things were different. Well, Leonard starts writing to me and kind of, you know, sort of acting a little bit more normal. At first, Susan just wanted to run. I really got to get the heck out of Dodge. I got to get away from these people. But I was really afraid to just bolt and run. And I know that sounds irrational. And I was afraid to just break and run because I thought that would, you know, trigger him And since he already knew where I lived, um, I really didn't think there was going to be a great outcome no matter what. So I thought maybe I could just sort of go along with it for a little while and then just go and just cut cut them off completely. Uh, Nothing, everything I was doing was just inflaming the situation and avoiding them didn't seem to really work either because, you know, they had they had our numbers, you know, they had our email addresses. And as time would go by, they would find my work email address as well. So at that point, I just figured, you know, Bobby was encouraging me to just, you know, hit back at them, slam back at them, you know, tell them off. I just figured I'm just going to apologize to Leonard, even though I didn't do anything wrong, just to appease him. You know, because he had written me a long email saying that, you know, you just ran away without talking to me. How could you just run away and leave people like that? What were you just too afraid to tell me what was on your mind? You're just running away like a little girl. And I mean, so honestly, that that's kind of the way I felt like running away like a little girl. So at that point, mm-hmm. I just put my hands up and said, all right, I'm sorry. I never meant to hurt you. I never meant to hurt anyone. Uh, I just apologize. And what that did was it changed the whole response I was getting. Now Leonard was just melting and conciliatory and really just softening up towards me, which really made Karen happy, really made Hal relieved because, you know, he was always kind of on guard, looking out, like putting out fires, like putting out troubles and, um, it just seemed like that was the best way to go. And I felt better too for, you know, all of the, all of the insanity. It turned out that Leonard was just getting played by angry Sharon. Sharon was impersonating Susan using a fake email, making it appear as if it was coming from Susan. It turned out there was someone writing to Leonard as Susan Fenston. And it turned out it was probably Sharon. So Sharon was pretending to be me to Leonard 
and offering sexual favors and coming on to him and, and just manipulating him in, in all kinds of ways. Leonard had you know, been through all this kind of nonsense with Sharon before. I mean, she seemed like a very angry, uh, disturbed, unstable and manipulative person and that he had been subjected to that probably all of his life. So, so he really appreciated you reaching out and, and that email and things kind of smoothed over. It kind of exposed Sharon as being this puppeteer, you know, who, who's kind of pulling all the strings here. So, so really, you know, the story sounds like Leonard's a bad guy at the beginning, but really the bad guy, it sounds like it's probably Sharon at this point. Um, yes. So things are good with Leonard. It seems like things are calming down. He starts opening up to Susan and letting her into his world. He used to have these huge, gigantic sex parties uh, for days with his friends uh, that were just like, like epic sex parties. It basically turned his house into like a sex party house. I just felt like, okay, if that's the lifestyle you want to live, that's fine. I have no judgment. I've met people in the past who were interested in that sort of thing, that lifestyle. And I'm not anyone to judge. If that's what you want to do, that's fine. I'm just not, you know, I'm not participating in it. I'm not involved in it. Leonard hosted a lot of sex parties, but the biggest one was called Kinkfest. But Leonard did invite me to Kinkfest, which was sort of billed as like the kinkiest, party in the Western Hemisphere. <clears throat> appeared to be a very extravagant event that he financed, uh, would rent out a big space for, and would have all kinds of amenities available for people who want to, you know, indulge in things like that, like windowless rooms, uh, things like pain tubs, which I don't really know what that means, but I, I kind of got a feeling of what it... <laughs> And it was just wild. And of course, you know, I shared all this with Bobby as we were going along. And we were just like wide-eyed. Leonard not only invited Susan to Kinkfest, he pretty much handed out Susan's email address to all his S&M buddies. He was pretty free about handing out my email address like party favors to his, yeah. you know, denizens of Kinkfest. Then I suddenly started getting emails from some of Leonard's friends. Uh, I heard that you're, you know, Leona's cousin. And if you need a ride to Kinkfest, I'm more than happy to bring you. I told Leonard, you know, listen, I'm not interested. You know, please don't, you know, don't share my email address with anyone. Don't tell them about me. Just, you know, keep me, keep me out of that. One of the people who got Susan's email was Robert McCautry. Remember him? McCautry was one of the guys who was charged with abducting and raping a girl back in college with Leonard and another man named Lou Burr. Well, he wrote Susan and said, And he wrote to me that, you know, he thought I was attractive and that, you know, maybe we should get together. I know your neighborhood and, you know, I'm interested in the arts. So what do you say, little lady? So he wrote to me and uh, said that, we were being followed and that he knew where I lived. It was during this time when the phone calls and emails started to pick up again. One day at work, Susan received the call. I was at work and 
the phone rang and I had been getting calls at work for some time, uh, hangups. I get a call of a, a woman who screamed over the phone. I want to smash your face in. Then Lou Burr, the other rapist, starts calling and emailing her. So one evening, um, well into the fall, I'm at my desk and I get a call and they, it was a hang up call. And the minute that I put the phone down, an email popped into my inbox and the title of the email was, you have a very soft voice, Susan. And the message yeah. inside was, you know, how would you like me to come up behind you tonight when you're walking your dog and I could put my, I'll put my arms around you, you know, love big Lou. I bet you're not reading that email right now. Like that's almost word for word. Um, what, what he wrote to you, but it yeah. almost seems like that's seared in your head, isn't it? I had been broken down for such a long period of time. I mean, just like mentally shattered after repeated threats and going around and round with multiple people coming at me, you know, that was just one of the worst moments in the whole thing because I'm cornered. I'm just cornered. Yeah. They have me. They have me. They know how to get to me. They know I'm easily frightened or, I mean, I think that would frighten anyone, but they, they just know at that point. This nightmare has been going on for months now, and there's no signs that this will end anytime soon. This story is just going to get even more complex. But before we go any further, I guess this is a good time to tell you that none of these people that Susan is communicating with online are real. They're all made up. Sharon, Karen, even Leonard. Every single one of them. Even the rapists, Big Lou and Robert McCautry, aren't who they say they are. Of course, at the time, Susan believed it all. Next time, on Pretend, Susan's fantasy world becomes painfully real. What? None of these characters are real? I bet you have a lot of questions. And I hate to leave you on a cliffhanger like this. I'll tell you what, if you want to listen to part two right now, you can visit pretendradio.org and click the donate button. My Patreon supporters get early, ad-free access to new episodes. Plus, Patreon supporters get cool stuff like limited edition screen printed pretend shirts and holographic stickers. You should also check out Susan Fenston's memoir based on the story titled You Have a Very Soft Voice, Susan. I'll have a link in the show notes. Also, if you're anywhere near Charleston, South Carolina, come hang out with me, Melissa with Moms and Murder, Nina Instead with Already Gone, Erica Kelly with Southern Fried True Crime, and many, many more shows. It's the Southern True Crime Podcast Meetup on October 26th 
You can RSVP right now. I'll have a link in the show notes. Today's show was written by me and edited by Logan Casterdale. Our theme music was written and composed by Joe Vasil with thechicken.net. Additional music by Blue Dot Sessions. And special thanks to my friend Sin McGregor for lending her voice to the role of Angry Sharon. Okay, guys, I'll talk to you soon. Creative Babble.